Welcome to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. We're just two women sharing our musings about life, MS, and everything in between. And this is episode 33. 33. Listeners, I apologize (laughs) for my voice. Um, I know it sounds like I'm losing my voice. I am. And I'll share my experiences shortly. But yeah, it's been wild. Extremely. Um, I want to also apologize for our absence. Dana um, became ill in between our next, you know, in between the mm-hmm. next recording. So we took a break. And um, and also I've been going through a lot of different um, organizational challenging mm-hmm. things. Um, that's to put it in a nice way. Uh, but also just um, you know, we, we just wanted to take a break and we needed to really, honestly, um, right, for sanity. For, yeah, exactly. Um, but we're, you know, we, we are here and we're checking in and this is our check-in podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're yeah. still here. We haven't disappeared. Right. So I guess we can just really, you know, dive in and, you know, forgive us listeners because this is going to be a heavy episode. And let me preface what I'm going to say with these are the joys, the ups and downs, and I'm saying joys in a <laughs> right. very facetious way. The ups and downs of of having MS. There are quite a bit of emotions that we deal with on a daily basis. Um, and a lot of, of triggering um, events mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. happen and kind of put us over the edge, which I think has done it, it's done with you, Dana. Yes. But we we're going through a lot, and MS isn't just oh I'm numb, I'm tingling, no. I have spasticity, I'm going to get steroids and go to the the neurologist. It's so much more than that, and yes. this is kind of what our our podcast will be about tonight to talk about the the various um, things that happen when you have. A, a debilitating illness such as multiple sclerosis. So, oh. without further ado, <laughs> yeah, right. Where do I even begin? Yeah, where do we begin? Um, so, Dana, can you kind of back up and because okay, so I was talking to you a few weeks ago. Everything was fine. Yes, I'm. I'm getting ready to send you a text message and talk about you know the next podcast, right. the next episode. Send you information, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard from her. Something is going on. What happened? What's going on? So God, everything is literally like a whirlwind. It has just been a wild couple of weeks. Again, listeners, sorry about my voice. And I'm sucking on Jolly Ranchers trying to to get my voice together. So forgive me for that if you hear strange noises. Um, Okay. So a couple weeks ago, I just started not feeling well. And not necessarily in an MS way, but... I was having these stomach aches. I just uh, wasn't feeling spectacular. So this like nasty feeling um, wouldn't go away. I was really kind of nauseous, unable to eat, had no appetite, just, I don't know, weird stomach issues. So finally got to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. I was having these sharp pains, just crazy stuff going on. So, um, called the ambulance and went to the ER. And the hospital that I went to is the hospital that my neurologist is out of. Um, even though I wasn't having a neurological issue, they have all of my, you know, 
paperwork and all that stuff there. So I just figured it'd be easier just to go there to see what's going on. So, so I'm in the emergency department and at first, and this is kind of a side note, but I think also speaks to the significance of standing your ground, but I'm in the emergency department, you know, explaining the issues that I'm having and the PA who I was working with in there was just kind of dismissive about um, how I was feeling, you know, just kind of wanting to chalk it up to just like a bug or something like that. But I, I know my body. I knew this wasn't just a bug, like something was going on. Yes. So, and she was like, my mom went with me to the ER and my mom being a mom was like, no, this isn't a bug. She's not going home like this. Like she's been miserable for weeks. Something's going on. Can I just ask you? So the PA was saying, Oh, you probably like have a cold or yeah. flu. And yeah, flu it. or right, exactly. It's probably so cold, flu, whatever. They being took dismissive, right? They okay. took they took blood. There was no infection or anything like that. So my blood work looked good. They checked my urine because you know sometimes a UTI can yeah. you know make you have weird symptoms. My urine was fine, um, but so there's like no, I guess according to her, explanation about why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, except. Eh, Maybe you caught something. But of course, you know, my mom being the wonderful protective mother that she is, you know, wasn't really having that because she knows her daughter. So they end up do, uh, bringing an x-ray machine in and doing an x-ray of my belly. And so, you know, we wait a bit for the uh, radiologist to take a look at the x-ray and something kind of funky is coming up on the x-ray. And so they send me over to to the ultrasound department and they do an ultrasound in my belly. Well, fast forward a little bit, they end up finding what looks to be like a, an intestinal blockage. Weird, like I've never had an, an intestinal or a bowel obstruction, intestinal blockage before. I've never had abdominal surgery. And that's significant because I guess if you've had abdominal surgery in the past, it's, you know, there's a possibility that the scar tissue can, you know, create issues with your bowels, all that. But I had never had a um, abdominal surgery before. So, you know, it's kind of weird. So I end up being admitted into the hospital to figure out what the heck is going on. So meanwhile, they put me on like a total NPO, nothing by mouth diet because I have this obstruction. They need to figure out what's going on. So immediately they send a surgeon to come see me. Um, and you know, first of all, the idea of surgery is just terrifying to me. I've never had surgery, never been under general anesthesia, nothing like that. So I'm like freaking out. And I know you're too freaking out too, John, when I texted you telling you what the heck is going on with me. Yes. Um, yeah. So the surgeon comes in, she's explaining what she sees on um, the ultrasound and x-ray. And Part of this is also triggering for me because if you guys remember, uh, my brother died. I didn't talk about it too much in the podcast, but my brother died last September of colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So all of this st- intestinal stuff is scary. You yeah. know, I'm thinking about my brother and thinking about all that and thinking, oh my God, like, what if I'm dying? So right away, the uh, 
surgeon is telling me based on what she's seeing, it doesn't look like it's my colon that's necessarily um, affected. And it didn't look like any sort of colon cancer, but something's going on. So that put me at a little bit of ease, but still mm-hmm. I'm like, what the heck is going on? So um, she wanted to take kind of a uh, observation approach. She didn't want to rush into surgery right away, but you know, I was admitted still can't eat or anything like that, but she's going to wait and see fast forward a little bit. Take, they sent me down for GI test the next day. And all of that was, you know, a debacle. I'm not going to get into that, but GI tests are horrific. I'll just say that we'll keep mm-hmm. it at that. So based on what was going on with the um, GI tests, the doctor, the surgeon was pretty certain that surgery was necessary and it was going to be happening that day. Wow. Really? Wow. So keep in mind, so this, so what I've just shared with you is in the span of two days. So you can imagine like all of the drama that's going on in my head, like what the heck is going on? Right. So the surgeon comes in and saying, you know, she's going to take a look at the OR schedule, but I need to get into surgery fairly soon. So, you know, and she said, you, she, you know, tells me that I have enough time to contact because my sister and my nephews were going to be coming and my mom as well. So she says, I have time to let them know and whatever. So then, so I'm thinking maybe I have like an hour or two hours, something like that. No, like literally after this conversation, the folks from the operating room are up ready to take me down to surgery. I had like 15 minutes. Wow. Look, yes. In in hindsight, I'm kind of glad because I didn't have enough time to to think out. about it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But but I had just enough time to call Courtney, my sister, to let her know, hey, I'm going into surgery. So when you guys get here, like I'll be in surgery. So right. whatever. Fast forward a little bit, I uh, end up having the surgery. Um, and the reason why my voice is how it sounds now is because they stuck in an NG tube down my throat after surgery. And for any of you who've ever had an N- Don, have you ever had an NG tube? No. So can you like explain yeah. or say what it is? Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So an NG tube, it's really just a thin tube that goes down from your nose down into your throat mm-hmm. to, and it, the idea is that it's supposed to um, help with the gas that you're experiencing. Like it sucks out the gas from your stomach okay. if you're unable to, you know, pass it because of an obstruct of an obstruction. Mm-hmm. And it also deals with or helps quell nausea and all that. So, and I guess it's very uncomfortable to put in, but mm-hmm. I, I was still, you know, under anesthesia when they put it in. It was before they woke me up from surgery, but it was absolute hell dealing with it after surgery. It, it, horrible. Um, and as so, you can hear, it's been about, I think I got the tube taken out. It's very simple to take out. They just take it out of, you know, grab it from your nose and it's just out. It's not like a it, it's not something that has to be surgically implanted or anything like that. Right. Just, a nurse just takes it out when the doctor says it's okay. Um, Which, can you say what, okay, NG stands for? I don't what? know what it stands for, to be honest with you. Okay. We're going to um, have to look that yeah, up. Yeah. 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 
and it's not like a feeding tube or anything like that. It's just, yeah, it just, it's a tube that goes, you know, they stick it through your nose, down your throat, and it goes into your stomach and it works. It's magic, I guess. But I'm telling you, like, it felt, even though it's just a thin tube, there's like nothing like attached to it or anything, but you can imagine like when you talk, like the, the tube doesn't stay, it's plastic. So it moves and it, um, you know, it can get like, I don't know, creases. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't stay static, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, so it felt like literally, oh God, I hate, 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 hate even thinking about it. Um, yeah. It felt like I was swallowing Legos every time oh. I swallowed. It was God. awful. I mean, worse than the pain that I was feeling from this surgery, which oh. that in and of itself is just gross. Like having to look down at my poor cut up abdomen. The, the, it, it doesn't look bad. It's not gross or anything, but there's staples in my stomach. Uh, yeah, it just feels nasty having been cut into. So, so okay. So let me visualize here and just yes. break it down. Okay, so yes. an NG tube going from mm -hmm. your nose down. Okay, yes. so that's almost like being awake, um, having an endoscopy. So you know mm -hmm. what an endoscopy yeah. is, right? Like, yeah. when, okay. So I hope our listeners understand what that is. That's when you go to the GI specialist and they have to look down your um, esophagus or in your, I guess, yep. yeah, basically your esophagus. And it's like a camera that's kind of right. exploring, seeing what's going on there. But I looked it up in NG tube is called a nasogastric intubation. So that's, that's pretty intense. So they, they intubate people when, for example, if they're in yours, wasn't severe at, right. at all like this, but like, if you are, um, you know, like, let's say having a, you know, if somebody has an accident, issue. exactly, yeah. exactly. And so they intubate and, um, and intubation is when they place that tube down someone's throat and to help them, you know, breathe or whatever mm -hmm. in, in that situation. But yours was right. to, to help the, like you said, the, the gas, yeah. uh, to kind of release natural as natural yeah. as it could, right. right. Without it hurting right. you because it could hurt. Yeah. Right. And it's, it sucks like this, your stomach acid and stuff out as well. So like behind me, like there was like hooked up to, um, the tube, like they have a little thing that I wish I would, well, no, actually I don't wish I would have taken a picture, but like, there's like a little thing and it's like hooked up to this like little bag thing. And you, and I, haven't I never looked at it, but it it sucks like any stomach acid and stuff out of your stomach because that you know the buildup of the stomach acid can cause nausea and all that stuff too. So right. So do you want me to read exactly what it is? Mm, what yeah. It is? Yeah. Okay. So nasogastric intubation is a medical process involving the insertion of a plastic tube through the nose, past the throat, and down into the stomach. Orogastric intubation is similar is a similar process involving the insertion of a plastic tube through the mouth. And so people also search for feeding tube, percutaneous, endoscopic gas gastro uh, I cannot pronounce that word. <laughs> Gastromy. But yeah, so without getting all medical, th that's that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just a process. Yeah. That, that it's a process of um intubation and the doctor or nurse will insert this thin plastic tube 
through the nostril and down your esophagus and into your stomach. Yeah. And um, and so they can also re- use it to remove things from your stomach, such as toxic substances mm-hmm. or a simple or or a sample of your stomach contents. That's interesting. So it's yeah. it's really it's it's actually pretty great technology for yeah. people who yeah. have issues, you know. But um, but that's it's invasive and it's scary yeah. and it's probably another you know event or situation that causes our PTSD, right? Yeah, <laughs> with MS. Oh God, yeah. So wow. yeah, I mean, it was horrible. So I had my surgery was last Wednesday. I don't know what the date was, was like the eighth or something maybe, but the surgery was not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. And so I had the NG tube in from that Wednesday evening when I got out of surgery until Sunday. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and it was hell. So right after surgery, I wasn't able to eat or drink anything. And then the next day they put me on like clear liquids. I was able to tolerate that fine. And so then they moved me up to full liquids. I handled that fine without, you know, nausea or anything like that. Um, and then the following day they, um, moved me up to a surgical soft diet, which is basically like no, um, fried foods, no like raw vegetables and things like that. Nothing with too much fiber, just things that are easy to digest. Right. And that I was able to tolerate, excuse me, that so that Sunday, no, I think it was Monday then that I got the tube taken out because I was able to tolerate all that. And I'm telling you, like, this tube was more uncomfortable for me than the actual surgery was. Like, I dealt with, you know, you use your core muscles for a lot, especially yes. if, like me, you don't have spectacular lo- use of your legs. Like, right. you use your core that's where all your strength comes from. So it's very uncomfortable turning mm-hmm. around and bending and things like that with the surgery, which is actually doing, I'm doing quite well now, um, surgery wise. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, I, I give you this timeline to show you that, you know, things are happening at a pretty fast pace, which is fine. Like, you know, I'm feeling fine. I'm happy that they, you know, are kind of, you know, first of all, that I got the tube out and then I'm able to handle everything. So we'll fast forward to Monday. So Sunday was the first day that I was on solid foods. So Monday, um, the, you know, team comes in and when I say the team, and this is a frustration too. So I, my medical team was, uh, a GI specialist his assistant, and I never saw them together. They came and saw me separately. So the GI specialist, his assistant, the surgeon, and her assistant uh, that I never saw together, they came in at separate times. And then the hospitalist, you know, just the general doctor. Yeah. Now, were they ever all on the same page? No. And that's frustrating as hell to be for everyone to just not be on the same page with what's going on. It's very, as a patient, it's really super frustrating. I have a problem with that for a number of reasons, but Mm -hmm. you can go ahead and I'm sorry. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. So, um, thank God everybody, they, they did the biopsy of, uh, the mass that was found, the obstruction, no cancer or anything, which was such a load off. 
But I did have, I do have endometriosis. That's wow. a whole other thing. I haven't even explored that fully, but um, just full disclosure, I have an IUD. And I, I say that to say that I don't have periods because of the IUD. And so it's very possible that because of that, I wasn't having any symptoms that people usually have when they have endometriosis, like painful periods and things mm -hmm. like that. I mm -hmm. never experienced that because I don't have a regular cycle. So that may have been part of the reason why, you know, I wasn't having any symptoms until this obstruction happened. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, but that's a whole other story. I've, I've been going through so much, like I haven't even thought about the endometriosis thing, but I was told by the GI people that, you know, endometriosis was as actually, uh, I don't want to say a, a good, um, it's good that I have that, but it wasn't something as chronic as like Crohn's disease or anything like that, which right. that Crohn's is like a thing in and of itself. Yes. So, so endometriosis is manageable. So the, uh, the foreign substance that was in your body or yeah. what have you, what exactly did they say it was? This it, mass? Like, it, it was the endometriosis. It was, it just caused an obstruction. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. But, that, but I say all that to say too. So the Monday when the GI doctor came in, he was usually like the first person I would see in the morning. He comes in. Hey, nice guy. However, he's like, oh, I didn't even see if they got the biopsy back or anything. I'm like having to school him. Like they did. <laughs> it's not cancer. It's, and you know, yeah. it's like, don't you look at my damn chart before you come in and talk to me? Right. That was super frustrating, but whatever. So this is all on a Monday now. So he comes in. Um, he's like happy, of course, that it's not cancer, nothing like that. He's, you know, happy that I'm tolerating food and blah, blah, blah. That, you know, happy for me that I got the NG tube out of my nose, out of my stomach. So then I see his assistant who she's like, like, you know, after I heal from this surgery and everything, she wants me to have a colonoscopy. Okay, cool, whatever. But that's like her spiel, like what she's on, like wanting me to get this colonoscopy when, you know, when I'm healed. Then the, uh, the surgeon's assistant comes in and she's, you know, she's nice. And, and I have no complaints about how like my interactions, aside from me being irritated about the GI doctor not knowing what the hell was going on, um, I, my interactions with these people are all very nice. Um, you know, they're kind. I, I felt like I was, you know, treated well and fairly. But uh, the um, surgeon's assistant comes in and she's happy, you know, that I'm tolerating food. Um, I hadn't yet had a bowel movement. But I was starting to. Sorry if this is TMI for everybody, but this but is. You know what? It's real. This yeah. is what we. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it is. So, yeah. but I, I did start to pass gas, which is a very good sign that things are working. So mm -hmm. she's like kind of, you know, blase about things like, oh, you know, it's great, great, great. Um, I think we can probably get you out of here today. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, I'm just kind of taking it all in, not really sure like 
what and she's kind of all over the place well you know and talking to herself well i'm not sure i think you might not have to have a bowel movement like the passing gas might be okay and blah 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 so whatever she ends up leaving about i don't know an hour or two after that the doc the hospital generalist comes in and he's like oh you know and i know him from other hospital stays because as i've mentioned before that's usually the hospital that i go to especially went with ms things so right. i've seen him before he knows who i am so he comes in it's like oh you know of course happy for me that i got this tube out of my nose because you best believe i was complaining every step of the way about that damn tube it was so uncomfortable so everyone yeah. of course is thrilled for me that i have this tube out of my nose um so he's like looking at his notes and everything. He's like, oh, you know, I, th I think today is a, you know, you can get out of here. And I'm like, I haven't had a bowel movement or whatever. And he's like, oh, you know, just kind of fluffing me off a little bit. And I'm like, also like, um, I don't have my wheelchair here. I don't have clothes. Like, how am I going to get home? He's like, oh, the social worker can work all that out for you, you know? And he's just you know, blase about everything. And I'm like having like a, an internal meltdown at this point. Like mm -hmm. what is happening? You know what I mean? Like it's hasn't even been a week and I had like major surgery. So, okay. Doctor does his little thing. Like about a half hour later, the discharge planner comes into my room and she's going over discharge plans. And I'm like, you know, just listening to her. And also full disclosure, I my insurance is Medicare. And when you are on Medicare, when you're um, in the hospital, there are like, there's special processes that you can go through. And I'm sure this is even for people who don't have Medicare, but there's just an extra process, I guess, if you have Medicare, that you can, if you feel like you're being discharged too soon from the hospital, you can file a formal appeal to have an independent doctor mm -hmm. obtain your medical records and make a recommendation. Can I just pause for yes. one second? So Okay, can I say full again, full disclosure? Mm -hmm. The reason why Dana has Medicare is because she she and I both are now on disability. When you mm -hmm. get SSDI, after you've been on SSDI, which is Social Security yes. Disability Insurance, mm -hmm. when you have this for two years, yes. then you are automatically placed on Medicare. So yes. she doesn't just say, Oh yeah, I want Medicare. Right, right. That'll exactly. be Affordable Care Act. Okay. Yes. 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 That's, okay. yep, that's exactly how it works. Okay. So, you know, I'm hearing out the discharge plan and she's like, oh, you know, because I'm like, well, you know, it's good and great that I can be sent home. They were going to send me home and did send me home in an ambulance, in a hospital gown. Are you kidding? No, no, not kidding. <laughs> it brings to mind, you know, you hear these stories of people who are thrown out of the hospital in no a clothes. Yeah. Cab. Like that's like how I was feeling. But yes, I went home in an ambulance in a hospital gown. <laughs> not, I'm not yeah. laughing. No, I'm it, laughing. Yes. Because that's like unreal. Yes. yes. Wow. It is. Um, so, but okay, so she's going through all this stuff. So, and she's telling me, well, you know, it doesn't have to be like around this time, I think it was like maybe noon or something when we had this conversation. And um, 
she was like, you know, it's not like you have to leave right away. You can, Cause I'm like, well, I need to make sure like someone's at home to meet me there, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, you know, make your phone calls, you know, whatever. Just let me know. It doesn't have to be immediate. If it's not till six, six seven o'clock, that's fine. So I'm like, okay. She leaves the room and I'm like, no, uh-uh. like this is not happening. I, you, I came in here for a damn bowel obstruction. You cut me open supposedly fix it and I don't and I didn't have a bowel movement yet which didn't surprise me because I hadn't eaten food in like two weeks so I didn't have anything to pass really right nonetheless don't you want to make sure the shit is working excuse my language (laughs) you know right (laughs) literally literally yeah right so I got that's protocol. That's kind yes. of like what they do. I, I know both my parents are, have been in the medical profession mm-hmm. and I, that's all I, I ever heard. So yes. I know that that's, that's what happened. For any kind of surgery. Yeah. Any kind of surgery. They want to make sure you poop. That's yes. just the thing. Yes. But I ha- had bowel obstruction surgery. You fixed all this internal stuff. Don't you want to make sure that this is working? Anyway. So, you know, the, as I mentioned, the discharge planner left and I immediately, you know, I wasn't having it. So I called the a Medicare for appeal phone number. I'm on hold for like an hour, which is an irritant because I was already stressed and irritated. So I called the number and as I mentioned, it wasn't, it's not like the hospital is evaluating this. They have independent people who get your medical records from the hospital. And then based on your narrative, what you tell them, they make a determination. Whether so or not you, right. And okay. also a little bit more about the appeal process is that once you start this appeal, that stops the discharge process. So you are, you know, Medicare will continue paying for this until uh, an appeal decision has been made. But you were already whole. No, no, not yet. Oh, okay. And I'll explain how this goes shortly. So, you know, I'm still in the hospital when I called the appeal. Like I hadn't, I I hadn't left yet. Um, So I, I, you know, I, so when I called the appeal folks and finally got someone on the phone, you know, I have to tell them why I'm appealing. And I tell her, you know, I had abdominal surgery, a bowel obstruction surgery, and I haven't had a bowel movement yet. And I don't feel comfortable. It's giving me anxiety. I feel like I need to be here until I have a bowel movement. So she takes down my information. She tells me it can be two to three days. It can take up to two to three days for the appeal, you know, to be heard. But in the meantime, I'm good. Like, I don't have to leave. You know, Medicare is still paying for it. This is part of my rights. So whatever. So in the meantime, like, you know, it takes time for all the proper channels to find out that you have started an appeal. And I also step back to say that doctors don't like it when you challenge them. No, they don't. They don't. And you will feel the ramifications, and I'll get into that shortly. Um, so the PCA, very sweet girl, she, you know, she's just like kind of caught in the middle of this. She's helping me like pack my belongings, like my flowers and stuff like that. And I tell her, well, 
you know, I'm not leaving today. I filed an appeal and she doesn't know how the process goes. She's like, well, the nurse said you were being discharged. I'm like, yeah, they told me that, but you know, I appealed it and whatever. So she goes to check with the nurse. The nurse must've made phone calls to figure out that I'm not leaving. And so, okay. So I'm not leaving, you know, filed my appeal. Um, in the meantime, I could feel the energy shift when it was found out that I had like was going against the grain, sticking up for myself and not just doing what they told me. Um, I really felt like I was treated some kind of way by the staff. Wow. Yes. It, uh, example. It took, so the nursing staff changed. And when a ner- new nurse came on, usually like the protocols that they come and check, if you don't ask for help, they come and check on you every hour just to make, you know, check your vitals and, you know, make sure you're doing well. I was in the room for two hours. No one checked on me. And that hadn't happened at all previous to this whole appeal thing, um, which was weird. And I, I realized that maybe, I, and I thought to myself, like, am I reading too much into this? But two hours is a long time. Yes. And not, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's weird. So then the nurse who comes in, I, so I had been in the hospital already almost, well, a week at that time because I came in the last Monday. And so with this whole discharge thing is happening the following Monday. So I had been there a week, but this particular nurse who um, things had changed over to, I had never worked with her before, but she had kind of like this haughty attitude with me. Um, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling her energy. Um, but then she's like, oh, you know, it looks like we need to get you on a, um, on laxatives and this, that, and the other, which that bothered me a little bit too, because I would think that they would want natural. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. To see if this is working because, you know, laxatives are stimulants and things like that, which sometimes you need a laxative. But if we're talking about like fresh out of surgery, let's make sure it can do its thing naturally. Exactly. But nonetheless, she's like really on this kick of like, okay, laxatives, whatever, because we've got to make you shit. Excuse my language. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I didn't like her attitude, whatever. So, you know, time goes on. I go to bed the next day. And I I felt myself, like, things start to work. And so I figured I was going to be having a bowel movement soon. So the next day comes, and, and the next day is the day after I filed the appeal. And I end up having a bowel movement. Spectacular. But also in the meantime, they'd give me suppositories, all kinds of stuff to make this happen. Mm -hmm. So, and I say that to say that after I have this bowel movement and I'm using a bedpan, Mm -hmm. sorry for the TMI, but this is what it is. And so I have the bowel movement and as the PCA is like helping me get cleaned up, she's like, oh, I mean, and I'm happy. It was like a good bowel movement. For, to, for hospital standards, but she could tell that, and again, sorry for the TMI, but that I wasn't completely finished. Mm-hmm. Like there was probably more to come, which is not surprising considering they had given me suppositories and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. But okay, I, you know, this happened and I figured, um, you know, I'll probably have to go again later. Fine, whatever. So I have the infamous bowel movement. Literally, 
not even a half hour after I poop, the discharge planner's in my room with my discharge paperwork. Oh my gosh. Yes. I hadn't even called down there to tell them, but the nurse must have, hey, she had a bowel movement. Get get over here. Let's get her the heck out of here. Yeah. A half but- hour after. And the appeal process had not even been concluded. This is what is bothersome. What is the rush? That's my first question. Yes. Why are you rushing this? Uh, why are you rushing me? And then this, the question that I have in the second part is, did they explain this process? I do understand that mm-hmm. when, you know, sometimes there's like an emergency surgery and that's right. what they saw. And did they even have time to explain anything or the process? At, no. or, okay. So no. they didn't. And that's fine because they had to get in and help you and save you mm-hmm. from you know the pain right. and the discomfort. I got it. But after the surgery that, you know, the successful mm-hmm. procedure, did they explain the next steps? Like, okay, Mrs. Town or Miss Townsend, this is what's going to take place. And this is what I need. This is what we need your body to do in order for you to get home and get out of here. No. Did, they, did anybody? Okay. That is a problem. Yes. And it really bothers me it gets underneath my skin. And I know that you and I were talking about this, mm-hmm. but you can't help but to think, is this because I'm female? Mm-hmm. Is this because I'm young and mm-hmm. female? Is this because I'm young, black, female? Yes. And um, I wholeheartedly yeah. believe that all of that played into them not seeing me and hearing me as a human being. I right. I really do believe that. And it's a problem. It is. A real problem. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, all of this is happening. The discharge planner is doing her thing. Again, keep in mind, appeal hadn't been, yet been concluded, but I did poop and whatever. Of course, I don't want to be there any longer than I have to, but I'm still like... First of all, like stressed as hell about what's going on, thinking about, you know, them sending me home in an ambulance in a hospital. You know, the whole thing is just so overwhelming. And, you know, you feel pressure. Even though I had stood up for myself, advocated for myself, filed the appeal and everything, when you have somebody in your face multiple times pressuring you to get out people treating you like less than human, you feel like, what choice do I have? Right. I mean, it was horrible. It was a terrible experience. And I'm going to just, full disclosure, the hospital that I was at, I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for those of you who are listening, and this was St. Francis Hospital in Milwaukee. And I'm not doing this to cause drama or anything, but I think that somebody needs to be held accountable for this. And I'll explain further why it infuriates me even more. So they end up getting me out of there. I go go home in my hospital gown in an ambulance. You know, my sister, my nephews are waiting, you know, at my house for me. I get in safe, whatever. Um, of course, I'm like still like uncomfortable from the um, just surgery and all of that. Right. Um, and just like, 
very stressed and overwhelmed, like feeling like I'm in a whirlwind, like what the heck is going on? Um, but I'm home. Um, but immediately I just start feeling off. And I've had MS for 15 years and I know what it feels like to feel off with MS. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel off. It wasn't a surgery thing. It was so, um, for listeners, I mainly use a wheelchair because of my spasticity. That being said, though, I'm able to stand and bear weight and all of that. So, you know, even though my legs are stiff, I can sit, stand and pivot and all of those things, mm -hmm. which are great. But like it like I think so I got home at about, I don't know, maybe eight o'clock that evening. And, you know, I'm up and just hanging out with my family. And then um, as time progresses, um, I'm just not feeling right. My legs are like jelly and they're not like that normally. As I mentioned to you before, I'm able to stand. I'm able to do everything like that. But like I literally couldn't stand. My, my legs were getting numb. I, I was having an, an exacerbation. That was what I, I've had MS long enough to know that. Um, and I'm realizing like this, it's not, and then, so, you know, I get some rest and I'm thinking, well, maybe it'll go away. It's not going away. Like my hands are getting kind of tingly too. Like I'm not feeling right. <sighs> so next day comes and I'm realizing I, I've got to go back to the hospital. Like this isn't right. Um, I get a phone call in the meantime from the appeal folks saying that I won which I don't like the word won, but I did, I won my appeal and the independent doctor felt that I should have been in the hospital for a couple more days for observation. <sighs> yes. Wow. Yes. So, you know, I'm already home at this point, but yeah, but the, and because of what I said, because of what they saw in the records, I should have still been in there for a few more days. Yet they threw me out. They did not care for you properly. Nope. nope. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Period. Period. Yeah, they, they fixed the obstruction, but they didn't care for you no. properly afterwards. No. I don't all, like that. No. All it was was somebody taking up a bed. Yeah. So that infuriated me. On many levels. One, I really believe, I and I had never had surgery before. So, and I do realize that, well, a surgery is a major trauma on your body. So that of course can make MS just go crazy mm -hmm. because it's a stress on your body. However, I truly believe that the way that I was treated and thrown out of the hospital and the stress that put me under is what caused this exacerbation. I really truly believe that. Um, yeah. So to make a long story short, the next day I call an ambulance, but I, I didn't go back to St. Francis Hospital. There was no way that I was going to go back there after I was treated the way that I was. Um, and so went back to the hospital. I'm at St. Mary's Hospital now, which I just want to say that I, they have been treating me phenomenally, phenomenally here. Um, I have nothing but nice things to say about um, how I'm, I've been seen and heard and validated here. Um, so yeah. So now today I'm on my third 
I'm going to have a five court day course of um, solumedrol. Today was day three, starting to feel the effects of it. And I feel well, you know, my surgery discomfort is really, you know, everything is doing well. I'm feeling good as far as that goes. I've been eating, like I I feel good um, aside from this, you know, just MSE stuff, Mm -hmm. but I've been working with, you know, PT every day coming in. Um, Side note, which I'll talk about at a later episode, I'm hoping that um, I may be able to uh, um, get approved to get into inpatient rehab again, which you all remember my inpatient rehab stories. I loved inpatient rehab. I, I, it really, I came home like a new person after all the work. And and I want to say too, and I'll talk about this on a different podcast, there are different kinds of rehabs. When you are in the hospital, a lot of times they'll try to shove you to what's called a subacute rehab. And mm-hmm. a subacute rehab is like a nursing home. Like that's where 80-year-old people go after they've broken a hip or had a stroke to do rehab to get back home. Right. That's not conducive. I'm well, tomorrow's my birthday, which is a whole other thing. I'm stuck in the hospital on my birthday, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be 39 years old. I'm too, no, I don't belong in one of those places. It would not be good for my mental health. But the inpatient rehab, you get four hours of, of physical therapy a day. It's a lot of work, but I feel like I'm up for the work. Like I want to get stronger, you know, whatever. So that's all up in the air. I'm just kind of, and they've been very kind here, allowing me to take it easy, not stressing me, um, whatever. So, you know, I still have a couple days in here and it remains to be seen what my plan is, if I'm going to do inpatient rehab or if I'm just going to go home and work with, um, you know, a home therapist and then continue going to a outpatient therapy, not going to do a subacute rehab, but okay, yeah, that's all up in the air. So. That is my drama. That is my drama. <sighs> yeah. You, you uh, knowing you for quite some mm-hmm. time now, you internalize quite a bit. So mm-hmm. it's not surprising to me that, well, I, I didn't expect you to have an exacerbation after uh-huh. the surgery, but right. the, the thought did cross my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but not because of stress uh, from outside sources, but because mm-hmm. of stress, you know, just from what you had to go through. Mm-hmm. However, I think that your body healed nicely and naturally. So you yes. were going to be fine. Yes. But the stress of all of this, you know, compacted with the surgery and everything else, it caused and created this, you know, yes. exacerbation for you, yes. which is or flare. And that's, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry you you had to go through all of this. (sighs) And then I'm stuck in the hospital on my birthday. Well, tomorrow's my birthday, but, uh, yeah. Uh, But I I think what, what you really are saying is self-advocacy, which is something that we touched on quite a bit in one of our previous episodes. Like, I, I have to really remember which which number yeah. our episodes are, but I don't remember. I think if, it was like nine or something, maybe. Yeah, because that's really, really important. Yes. Um, and people don't understand that when you are diagnosed with MS, it is um, it's it's really imperative that you you uh, I, I don't know how to put it, but 
and I don't want to sound like mean or anything, but mm -hmm. you got to get a backbone. Yes. Put the emotions aside yes. for a second. Like cry, scream, yell, whatever, be mad, but get a backbone and say, I am sticking up for myself. Yes. And I am, I'm really glad that you did do what you did and yeah. file the appeal because who else is going to do it? And they exactly. didn't, you know? Exactly. And even with that said, I stuck up for myself, went by the books, filed the appeal, right. but they still shit on you. Yes. And it doesn't matter. And right. I, I feel so vindicated that I ended up winning the appeal, even though they had already sent me home. Right. And validating that. I wasn't, I'm not crazy for feeling the way I felt. An independent doctor agreed and felt that even beyond having a bowel movement, I needed to be observed for a little while that. longer. Right. Um, but the staff at St. Francis didn't think so and well, threw me thank, out. And thank you for sharing this because people who are newly diagnosed and, you know, may go through this process, may or may not, you mm -hmm. don't know, you don't or know. people who, who have, who've been diagnosed for a while may go through this. And so this is kind of like a trigger for them or a reminder mm -hmm. to say, Hey, I got to remind myself and remember, be, be my advocate. Yeah. Or if you can't be your advocate, assign somebody to do that. Yes. It's so important. Yes. And I really want to stress that to our listeners. Yes. Um, and I, I'm really so appreciative of everyone, you know, tuning in to us. But, you know, these are real stories and we are being as honest as possible and putting mm -hmm. ourselves out there and being completely vulnerable so that we can help and help others. Um, because that's really what's important to us. Yes. Helping. Um, yeah, I, I know it's humiliating and embarrassing and all, yeah. of the, all of the above. You know, it's it's in the long run, it helps people. Yeah. And, and it's reality. Yeah. I mean, I hope to God that nobody ever has to experience anything like this, but right. MS is unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, and yeah, and the bottom line is you have to be your own advocate. It's not always going to work out the way you want it to, but you have to speak up for yourself yes. and let, you know, let it be heard. Because if you don't, then, you know, I, there's a quote, and I had posted something on Instagram. I've got to find it. It's a quote from Zora Neale Hurston. And I think she says, if you stay si something to the effect of, if you stay silent about your issues, that's, she didn't use the word issues. She says, they'll kill you and say that you liked it. And that's true. Yes. If you don't express the reality of what's going on, there's nothing, there's no narrative to support you. You've got to uh, speak out. Yes, that is so and, powerful. And it's it's not easy to do, as you can see by the way that, you know, I was treated unfairly and poorly by the staff after I did assert myself. You still got to do it. Right, because the behavior and the attitudes and, you know, the snide remarks and things mm -hmm. like that. It, it's it's intimidating, and I think that it's meant to intimidate you so that you yes. stay in your place. Yes. Stay in your place, patient. Don't say anything. Yes. Just let us do this. But they don't know. They're not God or yes. gods. Right. You don't know. You're, you're just here to treat me. You've right. gone through four years, eight years, what have you, of medical training. Help me help myself, please. Right. While you are helping me medically. Help me help mm -hmm. myself. 
Yeah. And and they put these social workers and other people or PCAs in, in place. I don't even know what PCA stands for. Personal care assistant. I believe. Okay. There we Attendant go. Assistant. Yeah. yeah. And they put them in place and they're really not helping you. And they're just there for show almost, you right. know, to basically say that they did it to say so that they won't get sued or have a lawsuit or right. something like that. You know, it's, it's really unbelievable. And we all know the statistics and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It, it really is um, a, a person of color issue as well, I think, mm -hmm. in, in many Definitely. cases. I won't say all. I cannot generalize because it's not all. But it's definitely a gender situation and uh, a, a person of color situation. You know yes. what I mean? The treatment that you receive. And and Pete, you can just, don't believe me, look it up. I mean, mm -hmm. these are statistics. It happens. Um, yeah. There was just an article about that, you know. Um, talking about the care for, for example, with, um, women who are, um, having children or having a baby. Yes. And they talk, did you read that article? I yes. can't remember where I read it or mortality rates. Yes, exactly. Yes. And that black women are, um, are really not getting the care that they need and that, that they deserve just like everyone else. Yes. So that's, that's, um, it's unfortunate. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make it a race thing because, you know, in the end it's, 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 um, it's a people really thing. It's about too, money, but it's about what money. It's about. Yeah. It's about money. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, that, I, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you, but uh -huh. I just need to, um, give a shout out to, so very, well, first of all, I just have the most amazing people in my corner supporting me as I'm going through all this. But two people in particular who really went above and beyond, um, Sandy Brodus and Esther Ventus, uh, they're friends of mine on Facebook, really went above and beyond in trying to get me information about different people and channels to contact um, you know, the higher ups at um, St. Francis Hospital, et cetera, but really kind of me guiding, kind of guiding me through this process and supporting me and asking me what I need as I'm going through this. It really has meant so much. So I just want to thank everybody who has been in my corner, who's listened to me, heard me and seen me. I, it, it means so much. So I just needed to get that out there. So oh. did, and, and this will be the last question for uh -huh. you. I'm sorry for no. You. Uh, did you have the idea to file an appeal or did you, were you talking or chatting with other people and they were like, well, you know, you can appeal. No, I knew I had filed the appeal immediately before I even had, you know, shared what was going on with me on Facebook. But the friends that, that I just mentioned, they went above and beyond and got information about other people that I could contact. Because as I mentioned, like with the appeal process, the people who evaluate the appeal are not people at the hospital. So they're independent. Right. But somebody at St. Francis needs to be held accountable for this. Period. Absolutely. And so the friends that I had just mentioned before, they really went above and beyond and, you know, researched and found people who, which is what I'll be working on next week, um, people to contact um, at St. Francis Hospital to address what, how I was treated and how, what was going on and what went on. So, yeah. But yeah. see, I never would have thought, oh, let me file an appeal. Like that, yeah. that never would have come in my mind. Yeah. Well, I, and, and you read everything that you sign. 
is what I'll say too, because okay. they try to, you know, they go through the, not appeal, the discharge process as quick as they can, but make sure you really read what you're signing and listen to them because that's how I knew that I had the right to appeal, um, reading over the discharge papers. And it clearly says, you know, you have a right to appeal the discharge decision and blah, blah, blah. So that's, you know, that was my first step at, I don't know, I guess, addressing my um, issue. So, yeah. So again, you know, read everything that they give you um, and stick up for yourself. Yeah. And that's where I've made a lot of errors. Yeah. I I don't uh, recall saying, oh, I, I have the right to appeal, you know, right. and I just kind of take people's word for it. Right. And um, you, you walk into something blindly and it's not, it's not healthy for you. It's not no. good. Yeah. No. Yeah, so this is all to be continued. I'm sure you'll hear, you know, I'll be sharing more about this because it's not done. But if everyone would send me good vibes, send yes. all the healing vibes and love Everything. that you can my way um, for continued healing. But I say all this to say I'm feeling good right now. Aside, you know, the steroids are doing their thing. That's my good. surgery went well. My abdominal pain and discomfort is lessening every day. So aside from me being sad that I'm going to be here on my birthday tomorrow, yeah. I am feeling good and I'm happy to be recording. Um, my voice still sounds terrible, but it's healing. No, you um, sound great. You sound good. Fine. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I'm feeling good and I'm happy, happy, well, happy to be able to share my experiences. Are you comfortable? And, I am comfortable. Okay. Um, yes, I am. Yeah, the food is disgusting, but yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm feeling good. And I'm happy that I have an appetite. Right. Um, yeah, so so I'm feeling good. Yeah, because that's so, torturous to not have an appetite it is. for, for weeks. Yes, it's mm. terrible. Oh, with all <laughs> of that said, how are you, Dawn? Well, the many faces of MS. Oh God! I I will keep mine short and and sweet, sweet. Uh, bittersweet, <laughs> bittersweet. Uh -huh. Yeah, right. Uh, I have a for sale sign on my front lawn. Oh, God. I am in the process of selling my home. Mm. Um. Okay. Again, to make it short and sweet, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I had an exacerbation or a flare. Mm -hmm. uh, and I knew that it was kind of going to be rough because I hadn't felt like that. And um, I had had one really major one before. Well, two, but this was like the third one. I was like, Ooh, this is big. So um, my doctor at that time had decided to transition me. She had been talking about leaving Tassabri alone because, mm -hmm. you know, all the issues with that and then moving over to Lamtrada. So it took a while to get the process started mm -hmm. and you know it's not just overnight. Right. And um and I said okay I I'm going to have to forego or undergo this major, you know, uh disease modifying therapy. It's going to take a lot out of me. What am I going to do? So I'm going to obviously and at the time I was still working, I'm going to have to go on short-term disability and probably transition to long-term disability. So I was still working, still getting a regular paycheck, still paying my bills, all of that. I called my 
and this is this is um, again the many faces of MS. This is about. I, I'm going to share with you all something very personal, and I'm, this is you know quite painful, mm-hmm. but I'm not emotional about it anymore. Um, well, sometimes, but not right, right now. But um, this is something else that I do want to point out that MS affects you. So like I said to Dana earlier, it, her MS is affecting her physical body. My MS right now is, is affecting my, it was affecting my physical body too, but not in the way where like I need to be hospitalized mm-hmm. or have medication, but it's affecting my life and my lifestyle, like my daily living and where I'm going to lay my head, where my son is going to lay his head. Mm-hmm. So I am basically being forced to move and move from my house and sell it. Otherwise they will foreclose or Mm. take it. So in order for me to save that and not have this ding on my credit so that I can't purchase a home within the next seven years, I'm not even sure how long they they do this, but uh, I need to hurry up and sell it. So I'll go back. I'll rewind. So I go back to, I, I get on the telephone with my bank and I call and I said, hi, this is you know, Dawn, Morgan, blah, blah, blah. This is my situation. I was diagnosed with this illness. It's a chronic illness and I have these ups and downs and I'm working and I've saved quite a bit of money. And I did, I had a hefty savings. I said, so right now I'm okay. I'm okay, you know, with paying my bills and, you know, uh, paying the mortgage, but I do foresee some sort of stumbling block. What do you have in place for people who face this challenge? Oh, well, Miss Morgan, there's nothing that we could do for you because you haven't fallen behind. Call us when you fall behind and we'll help you. I'm like, so you're okay. proactively trying to advocate for yourself yes. in your situation. Yes. Okay. And I'm yep. not exaggerating. This is exactly what happened. So when I fell behind, I, I took them, I, I did I did go on short-term disability because I had to take Lemtrada and and we've talked about Lemtrada and the mm-hmm. process and how that goes. So, you know, year one, it's five days, year two, it's three days, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of recovery. I did not, year one, I didn't get out of bed for almost two months. Mm-hmm. I really stayed in bed for a, quite a, quite a while. And, um, not because I was feeling so sick or anything, but it was, it was it's exhausting. A lot. Yeah. It, it's a lot. And your body goes through a lot. And when you are immunosuppressed, you really have to be cautious of where you go, what you do, mm-hmm. you know, what you eat, all of those things. So I just wanted to be extra careful and not rush and go back to work. I know some people rushed and went back to work. I opted not to because I knew what was right. I was being my own advocate. I knew what was right for myself at that time. So my parents, you know, um, were so amazing and said, we'll come and help you. And they did. And it was wonderful. But I continued to be, I, I, uh, I um, applied for disability and I, I was approved for Mm -hmm. short, short term disability. Right. And then um, I knew year two would be fast approaching. And I said, look, I, I, said, I'm going to have to probably go on long-term because short-term is going to run out. Mm-hmm. And it did. Um, so I got denied, but then I had so much leave that I was able, it was able to carry me for another year, which was mm-hmm. amazing. So I, I still was like trying to piece everything together, but then the money started slowly dwindling and 
when you don't have a lot coming in or as much because you don't get when you're on disability you only get certain like 66 and a half percent or something like that of your salary but anyway to make a long story short the money started running out i was paying bills and bill uh, you know you still have to pay even though you're sick you know right uh, or not sick but you know recovering right um i had to tap into my savings and and plus i had a child to take care of and it's it's just not easy doing everything alone and money runs out and people yes. i'm sure understand this so i fell behind in my mortgage when i fell behind i said look i'm i'm falling behind what do i do oh we'll send you a hardship application fill it out we'll help you i'm like oh great they understand right no mm. so the first application went out and then after that time, they only give you a certain amount of time to get yourself together and to get caught up. I said, look, I am not going to be able to go back to work. And at that time, my neurologist said, you know, we, we can't, uh, I, I don't foresee you going back to a full-time teaching position. Mm -hmm. I'm putting you, I'm placing you on permanent disability. I know this hurts. I'm sorry, but deal with it. But, <laughs> That's yeah. really how it was. Right. You know? So I dealt with it and she was like, you're going to kill yourself if you keep doing it. You you just can't. So I told the comp the mortgage company, look, I'm trying to find work from home so that I can, you know, uh, legitimate work from home, like where it was a good, right. good salary, good, all of that. Right. And I'm, I'm also trying to ap apply for disability. Well, disability de denied me. Like it, it's just been a nightmare and I won't go into that whole process we could probably mm. revisit it at another time. But mm. the moral of the story is I was denied for quite some time. So when the bank saw that I was denied for disability and didn't have income, they were like, well, I'm sorry, there's nothing we could do. I'm like, well, what, like, what are you saying? There's nothing we could do. Well, we'll right. put you on a forbearance plan. I'm like, okay. So they put me on a three month forbearance plan. Then you're expected to be caught up after that. I'm like, okay, so now what? I'm, I'm telling you, I need a loan modification because I know if I appeal again, I'm going to get a, a, a dis approved for disability. Mm -hmm. Well, they said no. The bank said no. Despite the fact that you had proactively attempted to advocate for yourself years before. but Yes, yes. Yeah. And... I was not, I was denied again with disability. When I say denied disability, I had paid into a private insurance company and I'm going to shout them out because I don't like them at all. I'm refraining from the words that I really want to use, mm -hmm. but the company is called the Hartford. They are cruel, evil uh, people. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I paid into this company and I, was denied and it that that's infuriating mm -hmm. as well yes so they said i'm sorry there's nothing we could do go on government disability <laughs> and private disability was going to help me pay my bills and right. keep the you know keep the lights on and pay right. the mortgage and all that but it, it just crushed me because i didn't i don't want to lose my house you know i have a child that right. i you know he's in a routine this is this is good you know i'm i'm independent I want to stay independent as long as I can. Right. Well, the universe has other plans. So I have accepted the fact that it is now time to move on and sell the house. The bank mm -hmm. is not budging. 
they are cruel and uh, only care about the one color, which is green. Mm. They don't care if you're sick. Mm. They don't care if you are, you know, on your last breath. They're like, whatever, pay us. They want their money. Yes. So um, Mm. because of MS, and I, I think it's fair to say, and anybody can, you know, uh, debate with me about it in a, mm-hmm. you know, positive. I'm not being, you know, negative or anything, but right. it, because of MS, I am in this situation. And, you know, just like my neurologist says, and my mom and I were talking, and she said, I know you would probably be in a far, you would definitely be in a far better position. You would probably be running a company or principal of a school because I was teaching at the time, or, you know, high right. up in education somewhere, you know, if, if MS hadn't taken over your life the way that mm-hmm. it did. And I'm a, I am a true believer in fighting and we call it, we call ourselves warriors, Warriors, yeah. but yes, we do fight and we fight every day. Yes. But it, it it is very difficult. We we fight to keep our bodies to feel quote normal or yes. you know find some normalcy. But then there's also that outside fight, which is keeping your house, keeping your car, yes. keeping you know food in the pantry, you know um, all of that. Keeping yes. clo- like having clothes and new shoes and whatever. Yes. So I'm. I'm kind of at the point where I'm done fighting and I just wanted to say, okay. So the bank said, you only have this certain amount of time to get it together, to sell your house. We're not giving you a short sale option. We're not giving you a modification option. This is what the attorney told me, my attorney. Yes. And I said, okay. Uh, And I talked to the woman actually last week and I was, talking to her and I explained, I said, look, I'm really in a situation here. What do I do? And I just kind of started crying. And she's like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, honey. And I, I know that she was because it's not her. Right. She doesn't own the bank. Right. Um, and she said, there's nothing that I could do. I, I don't make the rules. And I understood that. But they don't care. And, and and she said, unfortunately, this is just what what has happened. And I have to deal with it. Um, so yeah, so I'm losing my house. Well, I'm not going to say I'm losing my house. I am selling my house. And the only option that I have is to sell it at this point because I do have equity, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I will make money. I'm going to make money from the sale, which is good, but you only have a certain amount of time. So yeah. it's, that's pressure. And I am really trying not to let it get to me because yeah. I don't want to have an exacerbation. No. And everything that I've worked for, all of the money that I saved, I went into my retirement, I bought this house and the furniture and everything. And so I will leave with the clothes on my back and the clothes in our, in the closets, my son, myself, I'm giving away furniture or selling it possibly. I probably will just give it to somebody who, who needs it. Mm. Um, bless someone else because I yeah. was blessed at some point, um, and just walk away. And I'm grateful that I have family because some people yes. don't. Yes. Um, and that's that's where I am. And I'll just start over. I'm sorry, Don. Yeah. 
it's, you know, you were talking, we, we call ourselves warriors. We fight daily, um, but it's exhausting. Yes. And this episode, I'm sure, was exhausting to listen to as much as it exhausted us to share and be open about the nightmares that we're dealing with. Um, this disease is a lot. It is a lot. And I, I don't want our listeners to feel like this is doom and gloom. No. And, because we are upbeat. We are yes. happy despite all of it. I, yes. I'm at a peace, honestly. Yes. Because I don't want to fight anymore. And I do want to start over. And I yes. I feel I really feel happy because I'm not fighting the out like I want to fight MS. I don't yes. want to fight the outside yes. of it. I know MS has caused these things. So now I'm gonna deal with it. I'm gonna start over. Yes. And I'm gonna put myself in a better financial situation so that I can just kind of like buy something outright, you know what I mean? Yeah. And don't have to pay the bank. And even if it's a small condo, I don't care. No. Just something that I don't have to worry about yes. calling the bank or anything. Yes. So and all we can again, do is move on. That's it. That's it. And again, I'm just happy that I have family that can help and, you know, get me to that point. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens. And this is, it. now it's the next chapter. Yes. So, you know, but I, again, I do, I want people to understand that MS takes its toll in so many different ways. And you can, I'm not going to say overcome, but yes, you can no. adjust, you can adapt. adapt. Adapt, exactly. And that is, that is the beauty, honestly. And I want to leave people with that. Yes. That is the beauty in this because we are adapting and we are yes. still standing. We are. We're, we're here. We're recording. I'm in the <laughs> we're hospital. Recording. We're recording. Right. Yes, we're moving on. We're taking it as it comes. That's all you exactly. can do. That's just it. Keep going. That is it. Yeah. Keep keep pushing. Keep fighting. Yes. Be an advocate for yourself. Yes. Don't. And then if it gets too stressful, just give. Just kind of put give your hands in. up. Yes. Give in and look out for yourself so that you don't have an exacerbation. Yes. Because I love how I feel physically right now. I feel mm -hmm. strong. I took my son to lunch today, and you know, you would have thought that I was you know, a Kardashian with millions of dollars. And I'm like, <laughs> order whatever you want. Right. And yeah. you know, T.I. has this song, you can have whatever you like. Yes. So I started singing that. <laughs> y you made yeah. peace with the situation and you're moving on. Yes. Yes. And I'm happy. Yes. I really, I really am. It's it's not a happy situation having to give up everything, but right. I, I'm not attached to material things. And mm -hmm. I, through this is honestly, it's just through meditation. I never would have gotten here without being able to meditate and be calm and and kind of look at what's what's real. And MS has given me that peace. Mm -hmm. I, I know it's funny to set to say, but it's given me this outlook and and told me to basically stop, sit down. You know, there's nothing yes. pretty about it. There's nothing nice about it. But I'm like, all right, if you're going to be knocking at my door every day, I better listen. You know, I better open up and listen. So I did. I sat down and I said, what is, what is it? What are you trying to teach me? And mm -hmm. it's just kind of like surrendering and letting go and yeah. starting over. Next chapter. Yes. Onward. That, onward and upward. And yes. I am going to send you good vibes. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful, uh, try to get some, 
some good sleep. Thank you. Know. you. Um, and we will definitely be like rooting for you on your birthday. And, Thank you. you know, all of that good stuff. Yes. So yeah, listeners, send Dana a happy birthday message on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, uh, thanks for tuning in. Did you want to add anything else? Nope. Just uh, again, I want to thank everybody for your support, for listening, for being here, for hearing me, seeing me. I really can't express my gratitude enough to all of my friends who um, are with me. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. And thank you listeners. And thank you to my, I, I can't remember which, which uh, person tagged us, but saying that, you know, people should tune in to us, but yes. thank you for our listeners. We really appreciate your support yes. and please, please, please don't stop talking to us and commenting and, yes. you know, share your story. We want to hear it. Because yes. your story is just as important, equally as important as ours. Yes. Um, and we're just two vulnerable women sharing these musings. So, yes. um, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. You can definitely find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at myelinmelanin. And we also have a YouTube channel. Uh, we have to update that. Yes. <laughs> we say it all, yeah. all the time. But right. we. There, uh, please forgive us. There's, of course, so much going on. We yes. will see you on YouTube. Yes. Thank you, everyone. We will uh, talk to you soon. Very soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.